So it's, it's great to see you guys. So if you would turn in your Bibles tonight to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We're going to read our text, and then I'll give a couple introductory remarks. But tonight, what we're looking at is the Holy Spirit's work in the world. Okay? So we'll, uh, let, but let's read the text. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. This is the evening before his crucifixion. He's gathered them for a huddle, and he's, he, he says a lot to them in John 14, 15, 16, and John chapter 17. But here in John 16, verses 7 through 11, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So the title of my teaching tonight is The Holy Spirit his work in the world. And if you're following along, reading in Chuck Smith's book, Living Waters, this is um, the key points from chapters 3 and chapter 4. But what did we look at last week? Man, we, we, I, I want to make the, I want to give you all the bang for the buck. I want us to go deep. I want it to be rich. I want us to learn everything we can. But what did we talk about last week? We talked about the personality of the Holy Spirit. And how he can be grieved, how he loves, how he intercedes, how he prays. We saw all these amazing things about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his personality. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third member of the Trinity. And that was the second thing we looked at last week, which was the Holy Spirit's deity. The third person of the Trinity. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons one God. And that was the summary of, um, of last week. But tonight, um, we're looking at what the Holy Spirit is doing outside of the church. What is the Spirit of God? What is the Holy Spirit doing here in the church age outside the, outside the body of Christ? What's he doing out there in the world? So that's what we're looking at tonight. And I believe our text um, John 16 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 answers those key questions. There, there it is. John 16, 7 through 11, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, which is where we, we'll be drilling down tonight and looking at the text. But without further ado, let's dive into it. John chapter 16, verse 7 says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the first thing Jesus says to his disciples, one of the reasons, one of the advantages that when he goes away, that the Holy Spirit will come. Okay? The, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was not in its full measure when Jesus was on earth. Why? Because Jesus was there. He was doing ministry with his disciples. He was ministering to the 12 disciples and to all the people of Galilee and Jerusalem and all the people he was touching. But after he completed his work at the cross and he rose from the grave and, and went back to heaven, his, his, uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit came. 
the Spirit came to take over the ministry in, in the earth. And he says, but so it's for your advantage that I go away, for the helper will not come to you. And we know that the helper, the Holy Spirit, came at Pentecost. He came to empower the church. The whole, just like the disciples had Jesus in their earthly life there with them, and they traveled with him, they heard his voice, they followed his leading, he took care of them. The same way the Holy Spirit is with us today, okay? So the Holy Spirit with you, Christian, is just like Jesus being right there with you. That is mind-blowing, and that is amazing, okay? You got this, you, you got the, it's just like you're one of the disciples. They had the Lord Jesus Christ there walking with them. You have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord with you. Jesus is saying here in verse 7, I'm, go, I'm going away. But hang tight, guys. The Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. Then he says in verse 8, he says, And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I want to drill down here because the text drills down as Jesus elaborates here concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. But in verse 8, notice what he says. He will convict the world. That word convict, that conviction, that thing that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts, it means to rebuke, to prove, to expose, and to unveil truth. Okay? So this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. Okay? He is, uh, this is what he is doing. And let me tell you something, guys. I lived in John 16, 8 for six months. As I was reading and studying this, I couldn't help but to think back to my testimony. October 1991, I came home from leave. I was in the Navy. And my grandma down in Augusta, Georgia said, David, you're going to come see me before you leave for this deployment. And of course, you can't tell grandma no. So I drive down to Augusta, Georgia to see her. I'm getting ready to leave for a six-month deployment overseas. And she says, but David, I want you to go to church with me tonight. Grandma, I don't want to go to church. I had a 12-pack of beer on ice in the trunk. I was getting ready to meet my friends later on that night. I was not a Christian. But grandma said, when grandma says you're going to church with me, you ain't got much of a choice. So I went to church with my grandmother. And so I sat through service. And then she... Uh, I sat through service, and as the preacher was saying amen, I was like, all right, Grandma, I love you. I got to go. I'm thinking about my friends. I got to meet up here in Columbia. But she said, no, I want you to go to the altar. Well, altar? Grandma, what do you mean? She said, I want, I want the pastor to pray for you. Crawford Avenue Church of God in Augusta, Georgia. I went down front. I was a lost sinner, didn't know Jesus. And the pastors and the preachers, she told them I was leaving for deployment. They laid hands on me. They laid hands on me. And let me tell you something. They were calling down fire. <laughs> they were calling down fire. I felt the, the flames coming up. It was getting hot up there. And I was ready to get out of there. But they prayed fervently for me. They prayed fervently. I don't remember exact, their exact prayers. But I imagine it was for my salvation. It was for my safety. And I remember everything that preacher said. Anyway, as soon as he said amen, I bolted out the door, got in my car. I came up here, and I went about living as a sinner, doing the things a lost person does. And uh, that was October. November, I left for my six-month deployment. And let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit dealt with me for six months. For six months. I left on the USS Concord out of Norfolk, Virginia. 
And I remember traveling across this, the, the Atlantic Ocean, pulling into Rota, Spain, going to the bars, going to a bar called Guns N' Roses, and living in my sin. But every single day, the Holy Spirit was knocking on my heart. He was bringing conviction. And, and it was like nobody was preaching to me, but the Spirit was working on me and showing me my need for a Savior. I remember we, we pulled into Naples, Italy, and went out there and did what sailors do when they hit the ports. And when I remember coming back to the ship, watching a petty officer die on the pier from alcohol poisoning. Then I went to, we went to Athens, Greece. And this whole, this whole entire six-month deployment, man, the Lord was knocking on my heart. I was resisting. I was fighting. But he was knocking on my heart. And he was showing me my need for a Savior. We pulled into Athens, Greece. I was making my way up to Acropolis. And I remember seeing this beautiful church. And I was like, wow, here I am in Athens, Greece, looking at this beautiful church. And I remember I turned the corner, and somebody had, had, had spray-painted on the side of the church, 666. And it spooked me out. I mean, it, it spooked me. It was weird. And I would go out on the, the fantail. That's what they call the back of the ship at night, in the middle of the night when you weren't supposed to. I'd go out there, and we're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And I'm looking out across the Mediterranean Sea, and I'm looking up at the stars, and I was just thinking about everything that preacher said. I called my grandmother. I said, hey, Grandma, can you send some tapes from your preacher? She had them jokers FedExed. She had them jokers FedExed overseas. And so I, went, I was on this deployment down in the hull of the bottom of a ship. I was a machinist mate, and I would listen to that preacher. And I was like, man, I want this. I want this. I got back from deployment in the spring of 92. I visited a church, Bethel Temple, Assembly of God, Hampton, Virginia, uh, 1705 Todd's Lane, Hampton, Virginia, 23666 was the address. I remember my place where I got saved. And that morning, I surrendered my life to Christ. I gave in to the Holy Spirit's work. He was convicting me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know something? When God comes after your heart, when he comes after you, he does not relent. He does not relent till, till you give up. You know, that's an amazing thing. But the Holy Spirit, I was in John 16, 8 for six months. He was bringing conviction concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know, I knew my heart wasn't right. And I knew I needed the Lord. So it was an amazing time. But let's, let's look at it, though, John 16, 8. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does for those outside of the body of Christ, according to verse 9, look at verse 9. He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit out in the world is convicting the world of righteousness. Of, 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 of righteousness, of, of refusing to believe in Christ. Um, concerning sin. You know, when we think of sin, what do we think of? We think of lying, stealing, cheating, adultery, murder. When we think of sin, we think of um, breaking God's moral law. 1 John 3 4 says, sin is transgression of God's moral law. But Jesus here is talking about a greater sin, okay? Look at verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Is there a sin that is greater than all sin, family? Is there a sin that's at the top? And the simple answer is yes. There is a sin that is greater than all sins, and that is the sin of rejecting Christ. 
That is the ultimate sin. Unbelief is the condemning sin that closes the doors of heaven, closes the door of heaven, and opens the doors of hell. People do not go to hell because they smoke, because they drink, or they commit any other sin, but because they reject faith in Christ. This sin characterizes every unregenerate person. God is not looking for perfect people. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. The mailman's not perfect. But he's looking for people who are willing to trust and accept his atonement he made for us at Calvary. That's what he's looking for. And what a, what a sinner does with Christ will be either the greatest reward in life in eternity or it will be the greatest mistake they ever make. Sometimes we need to be reminded of eternity. We need to remember how long eternity will last. And last time I checked, eternity is forever. And as Ray Comfort says when he witnesses, and I tell people the same thing, please think long and hard about what I'm saying because there's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. And the Holy Spirit in the world today, going back to our study here, the Holy Spirit in the world today is correcting, rebuking, and exposing the world of their greatest sin, which is rejection of Christ. Man, I remember, I remember before I became a Christian in 1992, I knew I wasn't in a right place. I knew I wasn't right with God. And my heart yearned to make sure I was, gonna, I was in a right relationship with the Lord. But what kept me from that, be honest with you, be transparent with you, be real with you, is my love for sin. I knew that if I became a Christian and I trusted in Christ, that I would have to stop doing the sin that I loved. It wasn't until God changed my heart and corrected me to show me the darkness of what sin really is. And it made me want to run from the darkness of sin. And it made me want to flee to Christ. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God abides upon him. So, so the world, excuse me, the Holy Spirit is convicting uh, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. A lot of times, you know, when we're talking to someone, we, we, we like to focus on the sin. You know, they're, they're kind of like a big, they're like a bush. And they have all these weed sprouts going out, you know, and they're, they're sin, immorality, whatever. And what we like to do is we like to try to clip the limbs. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. We need to stop going for those limbs, and we need to go for the root, which is their eternal salvation. If you go for the heart and sharing the gospel, all that stuff on the outside will take care of itself. We need to remember that. You know, we, 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 we love all people. We care for all people. And the most important thing that we have to get across to people is that Jesus loves them, that he died on the cross for them, and that they must repent from the, of their sins and put their trust in Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, he says, the second one, he says, and concerning righteousness, 
because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. So what does the Spirit convict here of? He convicts the world of righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is a big theological word that simply means a right standing with God. A right standing with God. That means that you are, you are, your sins are forgiven and you stand perfect before him. Not in your own perfection, but in Christ. And, we, and, we, and that's what we trust in, family. Christian, that's what you trust in in this life. You don't trust in your church attendance. You don't, church, you don't trust in your offering. You don't trust in your denomination. You don't trust in anything but in the substance of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is our righteousness. The world, before, we, before a person comes to Christ, before a person understands the gospel, there's two things they like to trust in. Number one, their good deeds. If you go ask Lexington Larry or Ballantine Bob, hey, would you consider yourself to be a good person in God's sight? Most likely, he'll say, oh yeah, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I work hard. I provide for my family. I take my family to church. I, I, I volunteer down at the soup kitchen. Uh, I've been faithful to my wife my entire life. I've done all these good things. And they think that by that, 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 that they're righteous. They think that that puts them in a good relationship with God. But what does the scripture say? Isaiah 64, 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. So our righteous deeds, our good works, while we should, be, uh, we should do lots of good works, our life should be filled with good works, but we don't trust in our good works for salvation. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And out of that, it produces good works. But we don't trust in our good deeds. Many people, before they come to Christ, they'll trust in their good deeds. Second thing, we don't trust in our religion. We don't trust, trust in our church membership. We don't trust in our religious upbringing. Jesus said in Matthew five twenty, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not good enough to be religious in order to be saved. We need the substance of Christ. It's, family, it's, it's not about being a Baptist. It's not about being a Pentecostal. It's not about being a Methodist or a Calvinist or an Arminian or even a, a Calvary Chapelite. It's about Christ. It's about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about trusting in him. You know, we should have church membership. You know, we do want to raise our kids up in the Lord. We want to be fruitful in serving in the local church. But we don't trust in our, our religious duties. In, the, in verse 10, he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And, you know, when you first read that text, it can be a little challenging to understand. What does righteousness have to do with the ascension of Christ? Because basically that's what he's saying there. But what he's saying here is the Holy Spirit in the world witnesses through Jesus' ascension that the only hope is from above and not in good deeds or religion. Good deeds and religion are 
will leave us bankrupt before God when it comes to the matters of righteousness and trusting in Christ. Salvation is a free gift, okay? You can't earn it. You can, you, can, you can go to church every single Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. You can, do, you can do good deeds and be a good person and be faithful to your spouse all the days of your life and give all your income to charities and, and everybody else. But when it comes to righteousness, none of those things will work. It takes trusting in Christ. Uh, righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Jesus ascended, exalted, is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is our righteousness. He has gone before us and is at the Father's right hand. I, you know, every time I see a cross, every time I see a church, I'm, back before I was a Christian, every time I saw a cross, every time I saw a church, it just kind of brought me back home for just a moment. Man, I know there's a creator. If there's a creation, there's a creator. And I know I'm not right with him. And I'd heard enough. My grandmother and, and my family had sown enough seeds. I knew I needed this. And the Holy Spirit was, was working on this. You know, I was like, I don't, I, I remember that day I, I surrendered my life to Christ. I'm like, you know what? I want the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, I, I was at a, in Assemblies of God Church, but it wasn't about becoming a Pentecostal or becoming a Baptist or whatever. It was about coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want salvation. I want to lay my head on my pillow tonight knowing that if something happens to me, that I will spend eternity with God. And here I am. This, this coming spring will be 30 years. I've been serving the Lord. Very thankful for that. Let's look at the third one. Remember what we're looking at, the Holy Spirit's work in the world. And according to Jesus here in John chapter 9, the first sin is because they don't believe in him. The second one is because um, uh, concerning righteousness, because he's going to the Father. And then look at verse 11. Jesus says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. But hold the phone. Hold a minute. He's not talking about here the judgment of people. Let's look at what the text says. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I've heard many people quote this verse. He'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You're going to stand before God in judgment. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. This judgment, it says in verse 11, look in your Bible. In verse 11, it says, this judgment is of who? The ruler of the world. Who is the ruler of the world? Satan. Satan. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 31, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth it was like an atomic bomb. It was like a bomb coming to earth, blowing up Satan's plans. When he died on the, when he came to, to make a way for salvation, he was blowing up the devil and his plans. He was breaking up the darkness. Light was coming in to this dark world to destroy the works of Satan. You see, Satan wants to take our life and destroy it and kill it and us wreck our lives 
But Christ comes not to, to, to take our life, but to give us life. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 4, talking about the uh, ruler of the world, uh, the apostle says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So the scripture says there, this Satan blinds men from seeing the truth of the gospel. You know, back before I was a Christian, you know, I, I had questions about, back before I was a believer, I had questions about Christians. Why do they love Jesus so much, man? Why are they always going to church? Why are they always reading their Bibles and praying and all that stuff? It just didn't make no sense to me. What's, I, didn't, I didn't see the value of it. I, I just thought it was like, well, that's your religion. It wasn't until I got saved, I understood the gospel, that all sin has been forgiven through, in Christ. You know, the world carries the weight of their sin on their shoulders, okay? But when you become a Christian, all that guilt, all that shame, all the weight of that sin is removed from you and is placed on Christ, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but uh, before a person is born again, they're blind. I was spiritually blind. I could not see in this world the reality of the Bible. I did not see the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought it was just their religion. It wasn't, and then I became a Christian and I'm reading my Bible for the first time and I get to John chapter 14 and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And I go to prepare a place and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again. All of a sudden I was like, wow, this is true. There really is a place called heaven. A forgiveness of sin is real. Our consciences can be clean. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was no longer blind, but I had eyes to see spiritually. And that's what happens as we become, a, as we become born again, and then we're discipled, and we grow in the Word. Also, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 I don't have the verse, but I, know, I do know that verse also says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Check this out. This judgment that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 11, it was predicted in Genesis, okay? This wasn't plan B. This was plan A from all eternity. This, this, uh, this judgment that would come upon the ruler of the world was prophesied in what the uh, people call it the proto-evangelium. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says, uh, Moses says, I will put an enemy between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, when he died on the cross, it was a death blow to Satan. He struck his head and defeated him at the cross, completely fulfilled at the crucifixion. This, this judgment on Satan. You know, we're not living in a world where there's Jesus and good and Satan and bad and they're, they're at war. There is no war between Jesus and Satan. Jesus has won the victory. He has won the battle and he rules and he reigns. 
First John 3.8 says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the Son of God appeared for this purpose. Here it is. Here's why Jesus came to this world. To do what? Destroy the works of the devil. You know, as we live in darkness, as we give into our flesh, and there's no fight, you know, we slowly fade away, and, and we live for our flesh, we live for our own deeds. And it, take, it, it, it enslaves us. It, 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 it makes us a, a, um, a servant to, our, to the deeds of our flesh and to the forces of darkness. But when we trust in Christ and we come to him with all of our heart, he breaks the chains. And at looking at verse 11, and I just want to read the verse again. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. At the cross, Jesus crushed and defeated Satan. Period. End of story. He crushed him. And the Holy Spirit is today is witnessing to the world through the church, through Christians, and through the Holy Spirit of this awesome, amazing truth. Now, you may be asking, why aren't people responding? Why isn't, you know what, if, if, they, really, if they rightly understood the gospel, they understood the scriptures, every single church in, in, in America would be packed right now. People would be busting, it seems. Why aren't they responding? Why aren't they responding? Because people choose bondage over freedom. They choose bondage over freedom. And, you know, Christ offers us freedom. Satan, darkness, holds us in bondage. And un unfortunately, I was there. Man, I was there. I, I clearly remember before coming to Christ, hearing the gospel, and just a little bit of my heart opened up to it. And I was like, yeah, okay, oh, man, that sounds good. But wait a minute, if I, if I commit my life to Christ, then I can't do that no more. If I start serving Jesus, I got to stop doing that. Oh, no, no, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. That's the big reason. That's the big reason uh, why people aren't responding. But we need to keep in mind that according to verse 11, that the Holy Spirit is reminding the world, hey, there is a way out. There is a way to freedom. There is a way to forgiveness. There is a way to be in a right relationship with the Lord, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today. And how do, how do, we, how do we cooperate? How do we work with the Spirit? A lot of times me, when me and my wife are praying, I, one of the prayers I hear her say quite often is, is Lord, let us see where you're at work and let us join in with what you're doing. How can we join in with what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world? By sharing the gospel. Just plain and simple. You know, talk to them about the love of God. Explain to them the cross. Let them understand what's at stake. And let them see the simple good news of the gospel of who Christ is. That's how we work with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is um, convicting people because they reject him. Uh, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. And then concerning judgment. Not judgment on them, 
but judgment on our adversary, Satan. Now let's turn over to 2 Thessalonians. Let's look at the second half of my message tonight. There's another work of the Spirit in the world. And Chuck Smith calls it in chapter 4, he calls it keeping on the lid. Anybody get a chance to read that chapter? Okay. But in, in, if, uh, I'm using Chuck Smith's book called Living Waters as my guide as we go through this eight-week study on the Holy Spirit. But Chuck Smith calls it keeping the lid on, keeping the lid on. The Holy Spirit is keeping the lid on. Pastor David, what's the Holy Spirit keeping the lid on? Well, let's dive into the text. So turning your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And instead of uh, just looking at those two verses, let's, look at, let's start at verse 1. So we can read it in context till we get down to verse 7 and we talk about the work of the Spirit in the world today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know that what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. What is the Apostle Paul talking about here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2? What he's talking about is what we call the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will be a world ruler during the Great Tribulation period. And according to verse 4, he will oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God. He will command worship. He will command people's respect. He will be a ruler. He will be a dictator. It says in verse 4, he'll be an object of worship. He will command allegiance, be given to him and none other. It says he will take his seat in the temple of God. That could be in a rebuilt temple there in Jerusalem during the Great Tribulation. Um, he will be displaying himself as being God. So there is an antichrist that's going to come upon this world and he will usher in what we, we call the great tribulation. And the big question is, is, as we're looking at our text in verse 7, look specifically down at verse 7. It says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The big question that scholars ask about this passage is, who is the he? Who is the he in verse 7, because whoever this he is, he is the one who restrains the Antichrist. Um, so let's look at this. I'm, I'm going to focus in here on verse 7, 
and we're going to look at what this verse is saying. And I'm going to bring some commentary in and bring some other verses in. And let's try to narrow it down of who do we think this he is in verse 7. So the first half of verse 7, it says what? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So there's this lawless spirit that's already at work in the world, okay? It, 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 really, it comes out in evil works and evil deeds, but we see that all around us in the world. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And listen to what he says here. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, now is already in the world. So the the verse tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. But there's a lawlessness that goes on in the world, but there's a restraining as it re- as, as in reference to the person, that the, the, the Antichrist that's referred to here in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 7. But, uh, and then the second half of verse 7, look at the second half of verse 7. It says, He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The big question is, who is the he? I went on BibleHub.com today, and it shows all the translations of the Bible. And really, the translations are split down the middle. Half of the translations use a capital H. Half of the translations use a, a lower H. So many commentators believe that this he here is, I'm going to let the cat out the back first, is the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk about our options. I want to talk about the options of who this he could be in verse 7. Some believe um, that uh, it's the preaching of the gospel. That the, gospel, the preaching of the gospel keeps the Antichrist uh, restrained. But what's the problem with believing it's the gospel? It uses the word He. It uses the person. The, the, um, so that's the problem with believing, as some people do, the gospel. Some believe the restrainer here is the nation of Israel. The problem with that angle, that view, is the, na- the nation of Israel was removed in 70 AD. And no Antichrist appeared. It wasn't until just uh, 70 years ago that the nation of Israel uh, became a nation again. Some people believe uh, human government, uh, law and morality. Again, um, that's one of you, but the problem is that, that people can't, when they hold this, is, is you're dealing with a person here. It says a he in the text. Some people hold that um, Michael the archangel, there's a possibility there because it says he who restrains it. Is it Michael the archangel? Well, the, the, the difficulty with Michael, the archangel, being the he of verse 7 is that Jude 9 says that Michael had to look to God just to rebuke the devil. So it's, it's unlikely 
that it is um, Michael. I want to read to you from John MacArthur's commentary. He does a really good job of summarizing this and narrowing it down. But a quote from John MacArthur. He says, talking about all those people we just talked about. He says, many of these positions are unsatisfactory. The most significant problem with all of them, except the last, is that they are human forces. Humans preach the gospel. Humans make up the nation of Israel. Humans run the world government. Humans agree on principles of law and morality. Uh, But human power, ingenuity, and institutions cannot restrain the supernatural power of Satan that seeks to be released in the Antichrist. The church has never been able to restrain even human evil. It may do so to some extent in the lives of its members, but the outside world continues to grow worse and worse. A situation that will especially characterize the end times. If no human or angelic power is able to restrain the force of the Antichrist, that only leaves one. That only leaves the power of God to hold back the purposes of Satan and the Antichrist. And I agree with John MacArthur. The sovereign divine force that currently restrains the Antichrist is exerted by the person of the Holy Spirit. That is the he in verse 7. Only the supernatural power, um, only God has the supernatural power to hold Satan in check. It is the Holy Spirit that restrains and holds back the spirit of the Antichrist being fully unveiled in the world. Now, when you bring all the eschatology together, when you bring the book of Revelation together, and you bring what's said in Thessalonians about eschatology, when you bring it all together, this is what it looks like. At the rapture of the church, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns for the body of Christ and takes them to heaven, uh, we believe that that will be the moment that the great tribulation begins, a seven-year tribulation where the Antichrist will rule. So it'll be the, the rapture of the church, the church is removed, We see during the Great Tribulation, Revelation chapter 6 to chapter 18, we don't see no talk of the ministry of the Holy Spirit during the Great Tribulation. Um, So we believe that at the rapture of the church, the church is removed, the church is taken up to heaven, the restrainer, the Holy Spirit is removed, and then all hell breaks loose on earth. And that's what we believe in our eschatology, that that right now, today, we are living in what we call the church age. And at some point in the near future, could be before I finish teaching this, it could be a couple years from now, it could be a long time from now. We, no man knows the day or the hour, but Christ will return in the, at the rapture. He will, the, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18 describe it where the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we will go home to be with the Lord. And then the, then the world will enter into a seven-year tribulation period. And that seven-year tribulation period is what we're beginning to study on Sunday mornings in Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3, it talks about the churches. 
Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is Jesus exalted in heaven. Revelation chapter 6 verses 18 is the great tribulation period. Revelation chapter 19 is Jesus coming back on a white horse. Revelation chapter 20 is his millennial reign. And then Revelation chapter 21 and 22 is, is uh, Jesus, the glory of heaven in his, in his exalted state. But, but going back to our study, that's what I see in the scripture. There may be some more, you know, the Bible says that he goes to and fro throughout the earth seeking those who are fully committed to him. You know, God is at work in a mighty way today. And don't let people tell you otherwise. The Holy Spirit is moving across our land in a great and mighty way in many denominations, in many churches, in many ways. As the gospel goes forward, as the gospel gets preached, so I believe that the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ, they work together, they go hand in hand, and they are working mightily in our life. Don't think for a second that your witness to an unsaved loved one, to a friend or a neighbor, doesn't penetrate to their heart. God's word, he says, my word will go forth and it will not return void. God is working in people's hearts. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said it right there in John chapter 16. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, he reminds them, man, life is not forever. One day I'm going to step into eternity. What's going to happen? Christian, we have the answer. We have the answer. How to find forgiveness of sin. How to find eternal life. How to have peace with God. And then, have, how, then on top of that, all the added blessings, man. Our family. The, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we get to see on Sundays and Wednesdays and the relationships. Do you understand it's because of Christ that we know each other? How awesome is that? I, I know Rick and Jeanette because of Jesus, because he has brought us together. We are friends in the Lord. That is an amazing thing. So again, uh, go out, share the gospel, share the good news of Christ, be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people and good works and good deeds and understand and know that you have an ally, okay? And that ally is the Holy Spirit working on their hearts, convicting them of sin, righteousness, of judgment. And the Holy Spirit is also, you know, um, I was listening to one Bible teacher talk one time about the Antichrist, and I like what he said. He said, the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist has been in someone for every generation, for every generation since the church age, Okay. We maybe I don't I don't know the science of this, but maybe he goes from one person to the next. Maybe it was Adolf Hitler. Maybe it was this person. Maybe it was this person. This person. But whoever that the spirit of the Antichrist is in, the one that's going to be that dictator, the one that's going to be that ruler, whoever he is, he's under the sovereign hand of God and the Holy Spirit, according to Second um, Thessalonians chapter two, verse uh, six and seven. The Holy Spirit is restraining his, for, his, his, his impact on the world. You know, the Bible says that you and I are to be salt and light, okay? We're to be salt and light in this world because 
the spirit is restraining the spirit of the Antichrist, this wicked evilness that's going to come upon the world, let's be the salt and light in sharing the gospel and sharing the love of Christ to the world around us. Amen? Amen. So last week, we looked at um, his, the, the deity, the personality of the Holy Spirit, and the doctrine of the Trinity. This week, we're, we're looking at his work outside of the church, and then we will continue with the Living Waters book as our guide. And next week, we'll be looking at his work in the body of Christ. His work, the, the gifts of exhortation and, and prophecy. And we're going to dive into what does the Bible say about tongues and, and the gifts of the Spirit and how is he at work. We're going we're to exhaust this thing, man. I, I really feel so strongly about this study that the Lord is going to use this mightily to equip us for ministry, to stay strong in these last days. We could very well be the generation that sees the return of Christ. No man knows the day, no man knows the hour. We may not be, but I think we might be. I think we are because of the way the world is going and the stage is being set up. You know, there's, um, I, I left, I don't have the book with me, but um, in chapter four, um, Chuck Smith, in that book, his book was written in uh, 1996. Living Waters was written in 1996. So this book we're using is over 25 years old. And he commits a whole entire chapter to saying how we will go into a cashless society. And here we are 25 years later going into it. He, he, he gives Bible verses to back it up. But my point is this. The stage is being set in our world, okay? But fear not, Christian, because greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. And we have the Holy Spirit. Just like the disciples had Jesus with them, you and I have the Holy Spirit. And let's be faithful to him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this study tonight. Lord, help us in, to understand and see where you're at work in the world and how you're working on those around us, our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors. And Lord, help us, Father God, to sow those seeds, knowing, Lord, already that, that your spirit is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Father, I pray for our loved ones and our, and, and our neighbors who don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray for their salvation. I pray for um, that the dam will break and they'll open their hearts to your spirit, to your call. Lord, help us to be faithful in sharing the gospel. Help us to be faithful witnesses, sharing your truth. And help us, Lord, to join in with your Holy Spirit in fulfilling the Great Commission here in our local area. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for this study tonight. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.